Riddle me this, riddle me that. Who's afraid of the big black bat? In a city where evil is everywhere, Woo! justice wears a mask. If the bat wants to play, he'll play. Val Kilmer, Tommy Lee Jones, Jim Carrey, Nicole Kidman, Chris O'Donnell. Batman Forever. Rated PG-13. Starts Friday, June 16th at a theater near you. Hello, friends, and welcome to the most glorious of events, the Movie Mavericks Podcast. This outstanding program is hosted by two fine gentlemen, Jason and Trevor. Now make it so. MovieMavericks.com Hey, now everybody, welcome to a special episode of the Movie Mavericks Podcast. I am Trevor Anderson. I'm sending you over to... Uh, I am Jason Rugard. No, that's not how it goes, but that's, that's what's what it is. I am something, right? He's going to tell you what we're talking about. I am Batman. I've been wanting that to do it. that for a long that's time. That's what it is. <laughs> I'm definitely not that's Batman. Uh, neither are you, but we are Bat fans, and tonight we are going to be continuing our march through the threequels, the third in a franchise as 2023 rolls on. We're looking back at the second sequel in most franchises, and tonight it'll be Batman Forever, which turned hmm. out to be the, the hit of the year in 1995, which would become the highest grossing entry in that original quadrilogy, which would include the original all the way to Batman and Robin. And we'll look at that tonight. And I'm kind of excited that we went back and looked at this because I haven't seen this movie in quite some time. When was the last time you got a chance to watch this? It had been quite a while for you. Yeah, I mean, 2000s. Well, I know why after I watched it. <laughs> I, I got to say here, when you first saw it, did you see it in theaters? I mean, you were a kid. I was a kid. What was your first exposure? Uh, I didn't see this in theaters. I saw this on VHS. I saw it opening weekend. I was about 15 when this came out. So I was working at the movie theater that this opened at. Saw it with my best friend on opening night. And this was a sold out screening. And we got in because we knew people that worked at the theater. Obviously, they were coworkers and they gave us tickets and we slid in. But I remember people sitting in the stairway and just crowding the back, standing up. It was literally like a rock event because people were so interested in this. And hmm. I think that when it opened up, it opened up with a $50 million weekend gross, which was the highest opening weekend of all time. And I think this took not only Warner Brothers, but I think it took the industry at large by surprise because there was this idea that Batman had become passe or had overextended its time after Jurassic Park and Terminator 2 and some of these other more aggressive things that had come out in its wake. Because I remember thinking, I might be too old for Batman. I don't know if I'm still into Not it. Not for these. No? Your perfect age for no, it? No, I, I didn't feel that for this or the third sequel. I like that second sequel. <laughs> I, I was way more interested in Jurassic Park at this point. Let's just say that. L let me ask you this. If you were to rank the films in the original four, where do you put Batman Forever? Like, where do you think... <laughs> this it, is my... Yeah, like, where is, is the place? last. It's, it's your least favorite of the original I don't four? like this movie. I don't like this movie. The fourth one only gets a pass because it's got Schwarzenegger in it. It's so campy and ridiculous. This movie doesn't know what it's supposed to be. You know, is it the, the 1960s Batman? Is it the 1990s Batman? You know, I, I don't know what it is. It's, it's hokey. It's serious. 
and I don't know when it's being hokey and when it's being serious. Some of the dialogue is just horrendous in this. To me, it's the most divisive of the original four because the first two are of a piece and the second one they say wasn't as well received as they had hoped and that that, that certainly shows with the box office grosses but I personally love it I know you're very fond of it and this one to me was the one that some people really love and it turned me off I remember seeing it on opening night like I said and coming out of the theater and feeling very underwhelmed at what I had just experienced I didn't know why I just know that it was not what I wanted out of a Batman movie. Well, this movie opens up and the, some of the dialogue and just how the opening of this movie is just dog shit. Like, let's be honest, this does not set a good precedence for the rest of the film. And this is a slow burn as far as a movie goes. We're introduced to Two-Face right away, which I think is would be a far more interesting storyline to tell than the creation of the Riddler, which is just not interesting at all. And it's incredibly boring, even though it's Jim Carrey doing his Jim Carrey shtick. And somehow Tommy Lee Jones also is doing the Jim Carrey shtick. I don't, <laughs> it's just fucking, man, it's bad, right? Like Tommy Lee Jones shouldn't be doing this. This is, feels so far above him or below him, I should say. Like he, he's, he's a real actor, you know, and he's doing what now? As much as Carrie is well cast, Tommy Lee Jones is totally out of place. He starts at level 10, and he has nowhere to go through the rest of the movie. At least Carrie, who's expectedly manic, actually has other notes that he hits throughout the movie. But Tommy but it's Lee such Jones... such an interesting origin story. Don't you think? Like, the Riddler's story in this is that he invented something that really I don't even understand what it does. It, does, it doesn't appear to actually do anything. It's supposed to steal people's IQ or something, I, but it doesn't make them dumber. I, do, I just don't get it. I don't understand what his device is. I always thought it was weird that he basically wants to make Neuralink, the, what Elon Musk is working on right now, right? But I know. At, at the same time, I thought... <laughs> but it doesn't do anything. Wasn't this kind what of does a, it do? a dig at cable and television and Warner Brothers owned HBO at the time yeah. and this played constantly on HBO. I thought this was a weird message this movie was sending out, a very confused message. I don't know what the message is. The theme of it, I guess, is, is television makes you dumb, but look at the most <laughs> overblown, overproduced film but you've ever it, seen. It doesn't make you dumb. It just, it, 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 they entranced people and then, you know, green light went out and into his thing and then they would plop the thing. By the way, why didn't he just make two things for him to have one on his forehead to suck in the stuff and then Tommy Lee Jones could have his own. Like, why do they have to fight over the one? And like, it's more of like a drug almost like the way they were acting, like they were fighting over it, you know, trying to suck in the essence of, of, of whatever they're sucking out of people, but it didn't, it doesn't make the people dumber. It doesn't do anything to the people actually at all. I don't, and it doesn't make them smarter. It doesn't do anything to them either. Well, I want to back up though. I don't and, get it. And, and disagree with you on one point. I do like the opening for a couple of reasons. I like that glorious title sequence. And I love the fantastic brass well, orchestra the, by Elliot Goldenthal. opening I'm talking I know about. you're dang it though. But it, <laughs> I do think that, you know, this is the movie where the theme, the march changes. Where Goldenthal's orchestral march is different than Danny Elfman's. And that opening definitely lets Sounds you powerful. know that we're no longer in the 1940s crime noir Batman. We're in this 1950s sci-fi kind of movie. Oh, no, we're not. We're the 1960s Adam West fucking Batman half the time. There are nods to and that. The other, too. the other, oh, the nods to that. Are you, are you kidding me? Like, there's just flat out 
it just is like people there's hokey nonsense from from people and especially even the bad guys and stuff the way people look and act the way it's shot the way it's lit this is it clearly trying to avoid being serious at any cost but at the same time it can't get too ridiculous because it's still supposed to be Batman, right? There's still supposed to be some adult interest in this. This is a movie that, that feels so confused and probably made by too many producers, too many money men involved in this, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely made by a committee that wanted to change things up. And there was a lot of suggestions being floated around. I have the original script in a PDF. I can send you it sometime if you ever want to read it. It's... Not no. markedly different, but it takes place. It starts off at Arkham. I mean, it's definitely a, a little bit darker in tone, hmm. but there are still some bad puns in it and just goofy shit. And that's really what this movie is. It should be called is it? Batman Goofy Shit because the amount of weird things that are happening in this. Let's talk about a few I want to bring up. One is there's a sequence where okay. Batman drives up a wall. Okay, well, that actually happens in this movie. <laughs> the The Riddler finds his name by Zoltan, the machine in big, basically, gives him his yes. his moniker. And there's a Drew Barry cameo for no, for no fucking reason. Drew Barrymore's right? in this. Why? I can only think that she must have been dating Jim Carrey. I, it may be. Or one of the producers, because it makes no sense. And I remember they kind of Wasn't she dating? That. I mean, she was... All these people dated each other. Anyhow, I, I just... I don't know. I, I, I was thinking she must have been dating Jim Carrey. Because she's so out of place otherwise. Or Tommy Lee Jones. Make a pick. Yeah. Let me ask you this, too. Do you, How much of the success of this movie has to be given to Jim Carrey in his burgeoning stardom at the moment? Do you think that that really attracted people to the box office and that it was a master casting move? Yes. And I do. I, I think the writing is horrible and that he is wasted on this movie. But yeah, he's perfect for the Riddler. And we'll get into casting choices and some other people that may have been more interesting, I think, and probably better cast than him. But they don't give him enough to do. It feels as if he's reaching still. Like he, like, like the words aren't there on the paper for him that he needs in order to, to really bring that character to, to fruition, to full life. I feel that he needed to be reined in a little bit. I know that this is supposed to be a maniacal That's what character. I mean. He needs direction, right, in this. It feels like he doesn't have direction sometimes. Or that the grosses started coming in for all the hits of 94 that he started in Dumb and Dumber, The Mask, and Ace Ventura, and they said give him as much screen time as possible, and they were leaving things in that normally would have been True cut. as well. You know, I could see that. Stuff that I mean, should have been on the been, floor. Yeah, well, you had the script. It does feel like uh, some of the instances of, of his nonsense in this, it feels like maybe they were just like, okay, do something weird now, or keep Keep going like and they they didn't yell cut right away like he was still kept doing something afterward so you kind of got that uh, Jed Apatow type thing that we had for a while in comedy where you just let people do 800 different takes of whatever they want and you'll figure it out in the editing room exactly but doesn't that feel like a lack of I won't say lack of direction as far as overall cohesiveness of like uh, of the movie but as far as like actors go like Val Kilmer seems to be in his own world every, every actor seems to be in their own world it feels like they don't have direction. It's totally disjointed. Every, I think the way you said it was perfect, that everybody feels like they're in their own separate movie. And the only time that anybody feels like they're together is the sequence when Carrie and Tommy Lee Jones first meet. And there's a little bit of spunk between the two. That's like the most lively sequence. in general, though, when they're together, they probably have the best chemistry out of anyone in the movie. Including Kilmer and Nicole Kidman. (laughs) Yes, who have horrible chemistry. She looks like she doesn't want to be near him. And I don't understand what it is. I can't tell if she's wrongly cast (laughs) or what. He looks like he's high all the time. And I don't know that it's uh, it's not like like he's uh, on like weed or something. He looks like he's on peyote or something. He's high on his own ego is what I would imagine. Yeah. But is Kilmer better than Keaton? 
God, no. It's not even close. I'll no. say this. He seems more virile in that in the fight sequences, he's given a little bit more to do. Maybe, but some of that is special effects and advancements in other areas. I'm agreeing with you on that, but obviously they had problems with the suits. You have Tim Burton direct. I think Joel Schumacher is a bit more fluid when it comes to directing. Tim Burton's a little stiffer. Yeah, that's fair. I think that that's exemplified in the film's best sequence, which to me is the death at the circus sequence. At the time mm-hmm. of its release in June of 1995, I would say that this is the most comic book-like movie that was ever released. Hands down. Good. I'm glad you're good. That's the one good thing that has to go with. I mean, you're talking the circus thing. You're talking about the flying Graysons here. Correct. And that I loved that entry and all that Robin stuff I thought was really cool. With all these Batman movies, it's almost like there's too much going on in every movie, right? Always. They all have this kind of a problem. Yes, the movie yeah, stuff. So I really, I loved the the Dick Grayson stuff, but it felt like ancillary. It took them so long for them to get cool with each other. That's this movie's problem amongst many is that the storyline takes too long to develop. It suffers because there are too many characters. We have two, you have to introduce Two Face, Robin, Edward Nigma, the Chase Meridian character, and then you have to check in with Bruce Wayne and, and what's going on with Alfred. And it just becomes a situation where by the time Carrie enters the picture in full costume as the Riddler, we're almost an hour into this movie. And it's just yeah. too much time has gone by, and there's ebbs and flows to it. It's got a very strange structure. I don't necessarily like the structure. And my overall disagreement with the movie or my, my lackluster feeling towards it is because every scene is so overblown and frankly overproduced that when the climax finally arrives, you're numb to it. It's an underwhelming experience. It just feels like another scene. Having said that, who would have thought that mm-hmm. that Schumacher had the credentials to take on such a beloved franchise? There's nothing in his previous work that would suggest that he had the chops to deliver in a visual level here. I mean, they backed him up with the best people in the art departments possible, and they shine. But Schumacher also brings a, a very bizarre touch to it. The drum players at the circus that are bodybuilders that are painted like Aztecs and all this kind of almost Baz Luhrmann type of exuberance, I would say. Yeah, I mean, that's a good comparison. I, I think that as well. I mean, I would go to perhaps just because more comfortable at that point, but the fourth installment, I think the opening of the fourth one's great. And you can see that he directs the camera differently than Burton would. It's more f- and fluid, yeah. I think, is, is a good way totally. to say it. I would totally agree. But it seems to like dance almost like his action scenes are almost like a ballet, right? Something like that, like more of a dance. that's Like um, a musical number. Orchestrated in that sense. Yeah, or a musical, yeah. I mean, that's Baz Luhrmann. Yeah, was a good comparison. I want to bring this up that visual effects maestro John Dykstra said that the scene where Batman is dangling from the helicopter in the opening served as a proof of concept that they could get the technology to the point very soon that they could do Spider-Man justice. And that's how this eventually led to Sam Raimi doing the Spider-Man project. So at the very least, Mm -hmm. this was the impetus of the Spider-Man that would kind of revolutionize the genre. We can get into that a little bit later, too, because Sam Raimi was originally supposed to direct this. Let's take a quick break and listen to what Siskel and Ebert's thoughts are on the film. Our first movie is Batman Forever, the latest in the enormously successful series of films that attempt to cross a comic book superhero with the shadows and mysteries of film noir. The new Batman is Val Kilmer, who finds he's very attractive to Dr. Chase Meridian, an abnormal psychologist played by Nicole Kidman. Meanwhile, elsewhere in Gotham City, two villains lay their plans. Two-Face, a former DA gone wrong, is played by Tommy Lee Jones. And the Riddler is Jim Carrey, looking a lot like his character in The Mask here, 
as he explains his plans to drain the city's collective IQ straight into his own brain. The original comic books were about Batman and Robin, but the first two movies had no Robin. This one does. An orphaned acrobat played by Chris O'Donnell, who's taken in by a well-meaning Bruce Wayne, and soon discovers that his host has a secret life as Batman. Meanwhile, the budding attraction between the sexy Dr. Meridian and Batman continues to grow, maybe because she's attracted to his costume. Batman Forever is a great-looking movie, and it's entertaining, but somehow this series keeps on missing the boat. Batman is the most fascinating and mysterious of all the comic book superheroes, and he's about more than simply action and special effects and colorful villains. Batman Forever is basically just a very good-looking comic book movie, and I think Batman deserves more and better. It's funny, I've been having a strange reaction to this picture. I liked it while I was watching it, and as soon as it was over, it didn't mean anything to yeah. me. And mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. the days have gone on, it's meant even less, if that's mm -hmm. possible. I'm recommending the picture because I can't deny that while I was watching it, I thought the dialogue was very funny. I thought that Jim Carrey, sometimes he goes over the top, but that's Jim Carrey. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought also uh, that Nicole Kidman, was. those scenes were really they work, appealing, yeah. and mm -hmm. they do talk, they do hint at the fetishistic side, if you will, of Batman. There is a little bit of that yeah. going on there. So I'm sort of caught in the middle, but I liked it while I was watching it. It's, the way that they juggle the five characters here is pretty impressive because I, they're all given enough screen time, except well, maybe Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, one thing that happens is that maybe because Jim Carrey is so hot right now, the Riddler kind of takes over the exactly. picture and maybe even has as much screen time or almost as much as Batman himself. I cannot quite recommend this movie, and yet I do think it's better than the previous one, Batman Returns. It's kind of in that middle area, and as you observed, it doesn't really have any resonance. No. So they're mixed on the film. This was a very decisive movie. I think that the fourth one you brought up, which is the second one Schumacher made, and the one that stars Clooney, I actually <laughs> like that one over this because... At least that's just goofy all the way through, and it actually has a better flow to mm -hmm. it. It has a better through line. Uh, it handles its It feels characters. more comfortable in its skin than this movie. It, it does. This movie feels like it doesn't know what it's supposed to be, and that movie feels like that's Joel Schumacher's Batman. I think there's a lot of questions. Listen, what has to do with the production, how this came to be, why this came to be, whereas that fourth one, they, they had already had this third one done they knew what the fourth one to expect if they invited joel schumacher back they probably gave him more leeway i do also think that george clooney is a better batman than val kilmer i just liked him better as that and i think the yeah. villains are handled uh, they're underplayed uh, whereas these in batman forever are overplayed uma thurman yeah. and schwarzenegger actually go under a little bit even though it's hard to believe when schwarzenegger's screaming half that movie but <laughs> it's not as bombastic as fucking yeah. Carrie and Tommy Lee Jones put together. Let's get into the behind the scenes and the making of and the strife and all that. But first, before we do that, I want to let you know that the soundtrack to this was very famous. And if you didn't know, check out on Spotify. You can hear a couple cuts. But I want to play two of the songs that were the most famous from the soundtrack, which also included The Offspring, Brandy, and Mazzy Star. But this is Seal and U2. Love remains a drug that's the high and not the 
snows My eyes become loud And the light that you shine can't be seen Okay, so those are both chart toppers, and it was a platinum-selling soundtrack, merchandising through the roof, and ultimately a very big windfall of cash for Warner Brothers Studio. This would be the year's top-grossing film, and set the stage for Batmania to continue. I mean, worldwide is the difference, right? It was the highest-grossing film of this original four, which is hard to believe because that 1989 but, but movie was so huge. But only by 20 million, I, or if even that. It, I don't know what the third one is, but I mean, Batman Returns only made 20 million less than this. This is still one of the top grossing movies in the history of Warner Brothers. Let's talk about the production <laughs> and, and the, the backstory to how this all came to be. After the failure of Batman Returns, with the McDonald's losing its sponsorship of the movie over the, the tone of it, they wanted a total redirection of this. But it was the ancillary stuff. I think it was the losing all the tie-ins is what, is what they decided they didn't like about returns. And how much money can be made on a pop soundtrack. That mm -hmm. was also huge at the time. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know if they knew that. But yeah, this was a... Um, well, they say it sold as much as the new Prince album that came out. Sold, um, sold a buttload. Yeah. It, uh, which is surprising that, you know, compilation CDs would ever sell that much or, or you know, soundtracks. It was huge. It, you know, it had hit singles, like I said, and it was nominated for MTV Movie Awards. It just was all over the place that summer. And, you know, the lasting song off it would probably be the Seals' Kiss from a Rose that was brought up in We're the Millers a few years back. But... It, when I hear that song, I remember the, the video and Seal standing there next to the bat signal and you know, that played all summer, which got people into the theaters. And that used to be a, a kind of a way to remind people that this movie was out and to maybe see it. And uh, I, I don't know. I just thought that the movie itself is not memorable, mm -hmm. but there's aspects to it that are memorable. Is that the best way to say it? Yeah, you're, you're not wrong. In and of itself, being a, a Batman movie kind of makes it memorable. But yeah, the movie uh, has a doesn't have a great flow to it, but there are moments. Let's talk about casting choices here. There are a lot of people that were slated to be behind the director's chair. Who are the couple of the names that you saw that were supposedly going to step in and replace Tim Burton? Well, I mean, we had you had Sam Raimi, obviously. You had John McTiernan, which I think would have been uh, very interesting. They settled on Schumacher. 
I'm glad they settled on Schumacher in the end. I don't think that McTiernan would have been a good I choice. Know. I think McTiernan would have done something. Um, actually, I, I disagree. I think McTiernan would have, would have made a pretty good Batman. He made a, maybe the darkest one yet, and this is not what they were going for. Uh, and I wonder, you know, McTiernan's a little bit harder to but control. But it's what I would have wanted. <laughs> McTiernan's harder to rein in than a Joel Schumacher. You know, Joel Schumacher seems more like a company man than John McTiernan does. I guess there's supposedly a darker cut of this movie that exists. Supposedly, I say, because I don't know. The Schumacher cut, the infamous. The Schumacher cut, yes. <laughs> I'd like to see that, but then again, I don't know if I want to spend any more time watching this movie than its current running time. I can't imagine a darker cut of this would be any better. <laughs> Maybe decisively worse. Let's see and talk about casting here. Other people up for roles. What names did you see? What popped up at you? Like, give us, give me some info. Yeah, I mean, well, let's just talk about Batman, right? Before they had Val Kilmer, they were talking to Ethan Hawke. Interesting. Interesting. They were, we were talking to Keanu Reeves, who wasn't. Yeah, yeah, Alec and William Baldwin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Dean Cain, Tom Hanks, Kurt Russell, Ralph Fiennes. You know, Daniel Day-Lewis, Johnny Depp. So it seems like a just anyone, basically, who was a, a guy could have been Batman. I like Alec Baldwin out of those names the best. Maybe that's because I like the shadow. I don't. You don't like him as Batman. I was just going to say, no, he's the shadow. <laughs> no, I don't think Alec Baldwin would have been a good Batman at all. He's too brash. I think the... As, as Bruce Wayne. Like, Bruce Wayne has that... Yeah, but Bruce, Bruce Wayne has to fly under the radar, so to speak. I feel like, like Alec Baldwin would be able to play that. I also am interested in what Kurt Russell could have done with that role. That's also an interesting name on that list. I don't think he yeah, would have been that able. That would have been weird. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, Tom Hanks. Yeah, well, stop it. He, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> I mean, really? Daniel Day Lewis would have had to. He, he's also mentioned in this. He, oh my lord, he would have had to actually been Batman for at least you know? a year. He would have had been fighting crime in the dark. <laughs> He'd have been running around. It has like, yeah, every once in a while I'd be changing into the bat fucking suit. Uh, and Just living his life. It was Joel Schumacher who pushed <laughs> for the casting of Val Kilmer in the lead role, which... It makes the most sense. I, even Keanu Reeves would have been a terrible Batman, especially back then. And the people that are listed for the Chase Meridian role, up for that, some of the names that are listed were Rene Russo, Sandra Bullock, Robin Wright, Gene Triplehorn, Linda Hamilton, uh, all before Nicole Kidman was cast, mm-hmm. who was becoming very popular at that mo- moment. She had this movie come out and To Die For in the same year, which uh, launched her career, really, in America. I know she had tried with Far and Away and a couple other films. Dead Calm is fantastic. You ever see uh-huh. Dead Calm? The movie? I yeah, love that movie. Yeah, that's a good movie. Uh, however, this was the role that really, I think, sparked her career and got her on the A-list. But out of all these other names on here, I don't see them having any better chemistry with Kilmer. Could you? No. Um, yeah, no. I think I think Robin Wright would be the only other person on here I would even really seriously consider in that role. Val Kilmer feels standoffish to the whole movie. Yeah, he seems like he doesn't want to be there. Right? Doesn't that the feeling you get like he's yeah. almost like he has back pain and he's has to he's pissed off he's gotta walk through the fucking scene. That's what it's like he's in he's pained to be there. And I understand the psychological pain of the character and this and that, but there's gotta be a little smirk <laughs> and fun. You are playing Batman, you know. I'm trying to tell you he's he's over He's internalizing it. Yeah, he's he's putting a performance in where one's not needed, I guess. I mean, maybe. Yeah, that could be true. 
Two Face. Could you imagine Billy D. Williams as Two Face? Well, Billy D. Williams was supposed to be Two Face. I mean, if you look at who he plays mm-hmm. in the original, how about you know? <laughs> how about Al Pacino? How about Clint Eastwood? How about Martin Sheen? Robert De Niro? The worst casting choices ever. I mean, Tommy Lee Jones is bad enough, but good Lord. These other names that are mentioned are bizarre, bizarre names. And just goes to show you how this casting process was a total clusterfuck. And the only reason that Tommy Lee Jones got the gig was because he had been in the client with Joel Schumacher the year before, and that was a big hit. So they just reteamed on this. And and Tommy Lee Jones apparently was a huge prick on set, too, to, to Schumacher, according to behind-the-scenes press. And, and to Jim, and to and Jim, to Jim Carrey. Carrey, who he hated. <clears throat> they got that famous the famous quote, I can't sanction your buffoonery. I love that he said that. <laughs> and he basically says that he hates him. <laughs> I hate I you. I can't understand why you're so popular, <laughs> he said to him. Dumb and Dumber had come out the previous Christmas, and Cobb came out the same weekend. And clobbered but it. In what in what what world do you turn in the performance that, that Tommy Lee Jones turns in for Two Face, and then tell Jim Carrey, "I cannot sanction your buffoonery." While you're aping him, basically. Like, I'm sorry, sir. Have you? Do you need to watch the dailies? <laughs> and it says that Robin Williams was long time in discussion for being the Riddler, and was in comp- Which I think would have been a better. I think that would have been the, that's the one that should have happened. It seemed like they had really dangled this in front of his face for quite some time. There was talk that he was going to appear in Batman Returns, and that didn't happen. And it was always kind of known that Robin Williams was going to be Riddler, I feel like. It it was kind of was assumed. And then when Jim Carrey exploded, they just, you know, he was already a Warner Brothers guy doing Ace Ventura and Ace Ventura 2. Why not just sign him to do your biggest Mm -hmm. property and get the star power that that's helping? The the Riddler role is probably the most insane uh, for casting stuff because you had what John Malkovich they wanted to put in there. Kelsey Grammer, really? Frazier as the Riddler? Uh, Mickey Dolenz, Matthew Broderick, Brad Dorif, Phil Hartman, Steve Martin, what? Adam Sandler, huh? Rob Schneider? But the best has to be that Michael Jackson wanted the fucking role. I can't believe they would ever consider that. I, Brad Dorf, okay, maybe. I don't think any of these other people would be been good for this. You know, John Malkovich, I don't think so either. I think Robin Williams would have been perfect, and really Jim Carrey, I, I think is the best cast uh, um, role in the entire movie. It would be a, a close second, you know? I, I agree. I agree. And I, I think they got lucky with Jim Carrey's just exploding in 1994, 1995, and it just was made universally appealing to people that maybe wouldn't have necessarily seen a Batman movie, but they would watch a Jim Carrey movie. So I think that also helped the grosses. But these other names that are mentioned are yeah. ridiculous. Matthew Broderick and Malkovich particularly would seem to give in the most low-key, low-energy performance of all time. The current climate of casting and how things go down, it's interesting to me that so many uh, uh, black actors were originally cast or were looked at for some of these roles, like Billy D. Williams, talking, you know, Michael Jackson, I guess. I don't think that one was so serious. But if you look at, at, at Robin, Marlon Wayans. He was cast. Was originally yeah. cast. Yeah. So, um, I mean, pretty incredible, right, that um, that, that would have been not even a problem. And really, I, I wouldn't have had a problem with any of those people showing up in, the, in those movies. So it's weird today how... I don't know. Things get portrayed differently today, I guess. I don't know. I'm glad that Marlon Wayans didn't pop up in Batman Returns because Batman Returns didn't need Robin. That movie was already 
it's it's as perfect how it is. It mm-hmm. doesn't need another character. If anything, it could lose the Max Shrek, Christopher Walken character and be well, fine I mean, without it. You had Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, Matt Damon, Corey Heim, Corey Feldman, Mark Wahlberg, you know, Michael Worth, Danny Dreyer, Toby Stevens, Ewan McGregor, hey Jude Law, Alan Cumming, Christian Bale. What? Scott Speedman? You know, and then and then you go with Chris O'Donnell. So I don't figure that one out, but I um, mean, you know, I actually like Chris O'Donnell. Though. Actually, I would say Chris O'Donnell's pretty good casting for Robin. I think this is my favorite Chris O'Donnell movie. Uh, Scent of a Woman is probably the best <laughs> well, the movie he's one. ever been in. But no, 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 the fourth. The yeah, fourth okay, one. but like this is my favorite Chris O'Donnell character. I, I can't. I've never watched him in anything else besides this. Scent of a man. Woman, <laughs> Mad Love back in the day, and Circle of it's Friends. It's not bad casting. He's he seems very good in this. He seems like. Easily casted uh, every uh, person who doesn't like. Well, he's Chris Evans, before Chris Evans, right? Is he not? He seems likable and not too much of a tough guy, but rough enough. Well, that's what I mean. So, so he just shows up, and you're like, okay, I know who this guy is, and how he's going to act like. He just seems like a normal um, person. He doesn't go overboard. Doesn't go under. He does exactly what he's supposed to do, and that's it. It's also, once again, in retrospect, would be very odd to see. Somebody who wasn't that popular when the movie came out and then exploded. You know, if, if Mark Wahlberg or DiCaprio or Christian Bale was Robin in this movie, it, it'd be odd to watch it but in would, retrospect. But, I mean, Mark Wahlberg would be terrible as Robin. Uh, and Leonardo DiCaprio would be terrible. And either of the Corys would be bad. So would Jude Law. You know, Matt Damon, maybe. Matt Damon, maybe. Yeah, Jude Law would be terrible. Alan Cumming, what I the fuck is that? I could see Scott Speedman doing it, actually. You know? Yeah, me too. I was, but I was, always going with, I was going with Matt Damon and Scott Speedman. I think those two guys are nondescript enough, or can be anyways, to, to pull it off. Much like Chris O'Donnell. So, hey. I do like Toby Stevens, actually. I, I like him as an actor, but I think at this time, he would have been too young to do this. Uh-huh. Uh, he would have been... Yeah, Ewan McGregor would have been bad. I think Christian Bale would have been bad. Um, I would love to have seen what the hell Marlon Wayans would have been like, but I don't think that would have been good casting. I'm, I'm surprised that that was cast at all. Don't you feel like I don't know, the Riddler maybe more for Marlon Wayans? I'm a little confused. I, feel like, I was going to say, I feel like as uh, Robin, Marlon Wayans would be injecting comedic moments or be kind of a sidekick. It would just not make sense though, right? Yeah, exactly, right? He'd be like he'd be like saying weird shit and stuff. You're like, this is weird. Like, you should be a bad guy or something, you know? Yeah, I, I'm glad that they, they nixed that. And once again, Marlon Wayans got paid out for not appearing in the movie. So he did, uh, yeah. him and Billy D. Williams got cashed out for never even having to step on set. And he now becomes a trivia question of who was originally cast as Robin. Have to save that for down the line. Um, But clashes that occurred during the production, Schumacher (laughs) and Kilmer clashed constantly on on the making of the movie. And uh, the director described the actor as childish and impossible. I recall at the time that EW Magazine Entertainment Weekly had a front page report on this uh, about the production and it was going sideways and nobody could get along. And that Schumacher was just in over his head and he was protecting Carrie and everybody else was just out of control and, and running rampant. And I'm surprised that that got out to the main media because this was such a beloved franchise and property that Warner Brothers would, you know, hide the actors when they were walking from set and back because they didn't want the paparazzi getting pictures of costumes. Yeah, but that was a uh, the 90s was a crazy time, though, for magazines, especially and for celebrity. Right. Celebrity got pretty crazy in the 90s. And so did a lot of the magazines trying to get the scoop. Um, and everything and and what you're describing they probably didn't have to do before 
Yeah, you're probably right because they didn't have the telephoto lenses like they did and people hiding in bushes and all sorts of crazy shit. This wasn't the interest. I feel like Hollywood controlled um, the media on their their films a lot more than they were able to in the night at the rise of the paparazzi right it was over which was basically around this time you know the 90s mid 90s and yes it was exactly this time yeah and you know with the star power of everybody on the set they wanted to have the the latest clicks and and seeing you know a star smoking a cigarette or in costume and it would sell big on <laughs> star yeah. magazine or inquire or whatever it may be well yes because costumes would be huge any any glimpse um I don't, think, I don't know if people understand this, but back in the day, you didn't see it. If you didn't see it with your own fucking eyes, you didn't see it, you know, unless they wanted you to see it. So as you're saying with telephoto lenses or something, but just paparazzi in general, the idea that someone could make a living just tr- going around trying to take pictures of shit that no one should have a picture of seems insane. But in the 90s, it was crazy. And studios... Like, that was everywhere. Studios were very protective of those images getting out yeah. and had clauses with actors that they had to be uh, you know, on set constantly or out of costume. And it just... Or as you say, covered up in some way. They did that. I, I, I remember often seeing people only being able to get shots of people in blankets. Under things. umbrellas and stuff like that. Uh, under, yeah. yeah, under jackets, being walked to set, and uh, no, no pictures. And I believe mm-hmm. that this was the production awards. Batman and Robin, where somebody actually stole a bat suit, and they shut down every car leaving the set. Well, I think that was the was it the fourth one? one? Yeah, there, there was some sort of uh, suit being stole. Kind of think it was. And um, so it, you know, these were very, very hot properties to get your hands on any sort of bat stuff. But I was always, like I said, the surprise for me that was this summer. The summer of 95, Judge Dredd came out a few weeks later, and I just love Judge Dredd, and I so much more than Batman Forever mm-hmm. during that summer, and nobody was going to see Judge Dredd, but everybody, I felt like, went to see Batman Forever, but I didn't know that many people that really enjoyed Batman Forever after they had seen it. Uh, I think right. I saw it twice in the theater <laughs> just to make sure how I felt about it, and both times I felt the same. I do recall as a kid, though, working a Halloween shift at Long's Drugs. Remember that store when it used to be around? It's a CVS now, but they, they rented, they rented movies. movies, and I had to work uh, on <laughs> Halloween did. of 1995, and that was the street date of when the VHS for Batman Forever was coming out. And I remember I bought my tape that night for 16 bucks or whatever. It was some overpriced fucking price for a VHS tape, yeah. for a pan and scan VHS <laughs> tape. And then I went home that night and I remember watching it and staying up late. Oh, but at the time, man. But it, just having that felt so good and made me feel so complete. Worth every penny. You know, it was worth every penny. I still have the VHS here in the closet somewhere. Yeah, but that's all, that's all that was available. Or that was the you know, cream of the crop that was available anyways. Which is insane to think that VHS was once the the top coveted thing you could get, but yeah, I, mean, I remember watching this on VHS and, and being like, eh, you know. And I watched it, like I say, in the two thousands. I watched it on. D- I think this might be the only the third time I've ever seen this movie. Oh shit! Um, which is interesting because I've seen the other Batman movies. I don't, you know, six to eight times at least, each separately. Yeah. Um, I mean, at least. I, I have to say um, that. Well, in terms of the movie on VHS, it sold over 3 million copies during its first weeks. So it was one of the most successful VHS releases of all time initially. And 
Sure. It, I've, so they released these in the theater so, a couple years back. But doesn't that mean people liked it? You say like people didn't watch them in the theaters and they were like, and eh, no one liked it. But then they bought the fucking thing. They bought thing. it because they were babysitters for their kids. You put this on for two hours, your kid watches a fucking movie. It doesn't do shit. If people bought videotapes back then like crazy. <laughs> I mean, you worked at Blockbuster back then. I did too. You know, we sold sell through on things that were crazy. Well, not back then. I worked at Blockbuster in the 2000s. Nah, well, shit. Mid-2000s. I'm a little older than you. So I was working at Blockbuster basically so, at this no. time and- you are one year older. I feel than many me. years older than you, my man. <laughs> uh, sometimes I, feel, I pulled a hamstring the other day. I feel very old today. So, um, yeah, and this also was up for uh, several uh, Academy Awards. Uh, you know, cinematography, uh, sound, sound effects. Um, was up for the the best song by U two. Uh, it was up for um, uh, all kinds of stuff, but it also had. Uh, and some raspberry uh, stuff as well, <laughs> which I thought was funny, but it didn't win anything. It won no awards except for an MTV Movie Award for uh, Best Song, which was um, Seal, Kiss from a Rose, um, which is oddly enough, the only real thing that I remember from this movie, right? That music video um, and Kiss from a Rose, that basically is Batman Forever, like at the end of the day. It, That's it. It was. I mean, that was what they used in the trailers even on the TV spots, you know, and hundred percent. Yeah. It goes with this movie. It's the most lasting, impactful thing from this experience. And were you happy that we went back and, and looked at this or did you find this kind of a depressing, dreary look back? Uh, so I'm glad I got, I, I watched this again. Uh, I hate this movie. It made me want to <laughs> watch the, hate this movie. It made me want to watch the fourth one again. That's what it really made me want to do. Did. It made me want to watch the other, it reminded me of, of, a why I like Batman movies, though. Like you say, I want to watch the fourth one. I want to watch the first and the second one. Um, it reminded me how ridiculously good the Nolan Batman stuff is. Um, and on a different note, how good the Adam West Batman stuff is, you know, on a completely different note. But this is just, this has to be the worst Batman period. And for bad guys, from um, Batman himself, from, from, from all of it, this just has to be the worst Batman. I can't imagine there being a worse one. The thing that I will give it credit for is that at least it's light in lieu of all these very, very dark versions that we've gotten, starting with the Nolan stuff and continuing through Snyder. So I will applaud that it's lighthearted and I don't have to come out of this feeling depressed about the world like I did Anything? after <laughs> I saw Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises. But at the same time, I, I think that... Oh, but those stuck with it, you, right? This is forgettable. Like this, this, this is junk stick food. with you, yeah. This is absolute junk food. It's visual junk food, and it's total popcorn, summer entertainment, and on that level, it got people in, but I think that it hurt the brand, and that's also critically and commercially what failed the fourth one, because there's not... The fourth one's actually a better film in a lot of ways, and it just was doomed, yeah. because of this movie I feel like because the backlash that it created I mean, it's interesting that this is the 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 reaction to what they perceive as the wrong direction for Batman movies right that they're going to uh, lose out they, they want money right money 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 and so this is the reaction there are two, two Batman returns failing in their minds and they basically destroy the franchise and then the thing that saves the franchise is going darker well said. I think that's 
the the best point you could have made on this episode because it's totally <laughs> a studio misdirection and in management changing and uh, all sorts of regime changes that went on and Terry Semmel who was instrumental in getting the first one done was I, I believe not as powerful by this time and it's just the whole Warner Brothers system had changed and really superheroes weren't that fashionable again until roughly 2002 when spider-man reinvigorated the genre oh yeah because it was a dreary (laughs) period there for quite a while i mean they canceled the nick cage tim burton superman film and a slew of other sequels that were supposed to be produced including a fifth movie in this universe and um it just was a dead definitely dc was 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 done and marvel was um was coming up you know and, and as we see now that's still apparently the case yeah, that's totally. And now I forget how often they changed Batman's back then. I thought it was getting a little too infrequent recently, but that was always the case, right? It's just always mm-hmm. been a fluctuating character and been more inhabitable than well, James Bond at this point. I was just going to say it's really unfortunate they didn't treat these more like James Bond movies because that would have been uh, Batman's perfect for that. Um, and before anyone questions that, um, animated series, uh, bat like comic books. Look at Batman in general. Dude's James Bond. I felt, to be fair, as easy as that. I felt like Batman Begins was the closest to a James Bond movie that Christopher Nolan ever came. <laughs> yeah, and I agree with that. But but that's but is that only because that those were also aped by James Bond? Possibly. I, that, that's ironic, right? That eventually, no, seriously, Skyfall is right? Dark Knight. Yeah, 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 like it's it's so um, uh, ridiculous how how what they gave up for, with the Batman stuff by fucking around and uh, and not just focusing on that, and instead they wanted that Marvel uh, magic, you know, and it ruined them. Well, we'll see what James Gunn does with DC moving forward. They're going to reboot the whole thing and go younger with these characters so we'll see how that plays out in the future but for an experience and a viewing experience but we still get more pattison so we do get more pattison and uh, he's been the most surprising batman that we've had thus far in my opinion yeah he's a good actor and i don't like that batman movie but he's good he's good in batman he's good as batman so i'm i'm willing to uh entertain a a second one of those yeah, and I think that's coming this next year, if not the year after. They're going to get on top of that, which is going to run concurrently to the James Gunn stuff. So what a mess that DC has got themselves into. It seemed like it was a lot easier <laughs> when they just had one superhero, one film, one timeline. But Yeah, I don't know why they don't do that. You know, Superman, Batman. It's that fucking simple. Do not worry about this whole universe thing. No one gives a fuck about Aquaman, for real. Just stop it. Superman, Batman. Make it happen. Those are the pillars that built Warner Brothers in a lot of ways. And it's sad that they are still exploiting those, but not even exploiting them correctly, in my opinion. And they've really not been able to do that since 1989. Yeah. Well, I mean, since... You know, I think the 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 insane reaction to Batman Returns is a problem. Because I love Batman Returns. I think it's a great movie. Me too. Um, so that their reaction to that is incorrect, you know, obviously and proven so. So, um, I don't know. It's, it's a bad idea in general to allow producers to, to have that much control over the artistry of, 
uh, of filmmaking, right? Obviously, they're not the artists. They, they can decide where the money gets spent um, and what might be good uh, t- for certain aspects of it. But I don't know. You know, I'm tired of company men. I want somebody with some balls. <laughs> good luck with today's climate in Hollywood. <laughs> That's exactly what That's they don't true. want, is anybody with balls. No, no, they're, they're enjoying their Budweiser. <laughs> That's going to wrap up tonight's episode. <laughs> we want to thank you guys for joining us on this look back to 1995's Batman Forever, the third in the series. Stick with us for future episodes and retrospectives where we'll be looking at all threequels for major franchises this coming year. We want to thank you guys as always. Speaking for Trevor Anderson, I am Jason Rugard, and we are the Movie Mavericks. Oh my, another magnificent episode has come to an end. If you're craving more, set your destination to moviemavericks.com, warp 9. Engage! Engage!